we have the privilege this morning of hearing from one of our own, Dr. Yancey Smith. He's one of our elders. He's a former church planner. He is a Bible translator, and they send him all over the world to teach people how to translate scriptures into different languages. Really cool guy, and I don't want to overdo how spiritual he is. All right, I'm going to go ahead and say it. John the Baptist lives in his backyard, okay? I, I said it. It's out. Everybody knows. Give it up for Dr. Yancey Smith. All right. Thank you. All right. It's good to be here this morning and uh, really glad that uh, Jamie is able to reach out and bless the, the uh, church in Zagreb, which uh, several of us, several of you uh, that are in the audience, either first service or second service, were involved in planting, either supporting or going. And uh, now it's uh, under uh, Croatian leadership. That's amazing. It's wonderful, and uh, there's more going on, and we'll let J Jamie talk about that when he gets back. Uh, my name's Yancey Smith, and uh, I am privileged to be married to my wife of 38 years, Lynette, right down here. And uh, yeah, and uh, we've learned a lot of things together over the years. We also have uh, four children uh, scattered around different places. Uh, daughter lives in San Francisco, uh, one daughter who's a church planter and her husband in San Marcos, and, and then uh, another daughter in Abilene, Texas, uh, and our son who lives with us. And um, I wanted this, this morning talk about uh, just the series, just a second, and uh, the, uh, the series we're calling Basic Training with Jesus. And the idea behind these messages is very simple. Uh, and that is that Jesus himself is the embodiment of God's good word for us. And it is by being trained by Jesus that he empowers us to be like him. Jesus is such a good teacher, and he has just what we need. And he has just what you need. In fact, Jesus is brilliant. And when I find myself experiencing dryness, hitting a wall or even feeling lost in a barren, unfruitful wasteland surrounded by thistles and thorns, I can turn to Jesus, and He will transform my life into a well-watered garden. You see, that's the good news. And we need to hear uh, in the voices that we hear as we read Scripture, we need, we need to hear the voice of Jesus. We need to read Scripture as if Jesus were reading it with us and through the eyes of Jesus. Martin Luther uh, said that uh, there are two voices that uh, can be read as you read Scripture. One of them is the voice that kills the sinner, but the other voice is the voice that raises the sinner from the dead. And you see, the good news is all about that change. So Jesus uh, is sharing this message with us today, and I want to read uh, from uh, Luke uh, verse, chapter 6, verses 43 through 45, and uh, as we read this, I want you to ask yourself some questions. One of them is, who is the good tree? Who is the evil tree? Who is the good person? Who is the evil person? 
No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So what is this passage about? How do we take its message like medicine to heal the illness of our souls? What sort of revelation is it trying to lead us toward? One of the great things about God's Word as we read it in Scripture is its way of revealing who God is and who we are by provoking a profound sense of irony. When I say irony... I mean Scripture's ability to create that strange feeling in us when we realize we are being confronted with multiple meanings and the meaning we choose to run with reveals the kind of person we are. Most of Jesus' parables are like that. For example, if you were like me, the first time you read this passage, you might have been tempted to review, and you might be tempted now to review, the good and the bad things you've done today, this morning maybe, or this week, or maybe even stretching further out over your life. And you try to determine if you are one of the good people or one of the evil people. You may even assume, I'm not evil, I'm not bad. I'm one of the good ones. And uh, this... It's really interesting because in, in Japan, where we have a Bible translation project that we're about to wrap up the New Testament on, one of the constant questions I get and we got from the beginning from the Japanese is, what do you mean by sin? What is that? There is no concept of sin in Japanese culture. The kind of concept that we have. There is a concept of crime and the word for crime is what has been translated as sin in Christian Bibles since the beginning. But most Japanese don't feel like they're criminals. And so we used a different word, a word that's more like mistake, but that misses something too, and there's just not a word for sin. And, and maybe uh, th that's a problem that, uh, that we have at times as we read passages like this. Let's call reading this text like that, reading the surface of the text. Now, that little level of reading does have some advantages. We certainly don't want to hang out with people that are bad, and reading this passage in this way may help us remember that very fact, but it's not a particularly enlightening way of reading the Bible. Unfortunately, that's where most of us stop and where we kind of think that's the meaning and that's it. There's a problem with that way of reading, and the problem is us. We get a hint that more is going on in the text than meets the eye because of what immediately comes before the verses. Jesus' focus to give our hearts and, is to give our hearts and brains a workout so that we can get some important revelation from the Father. So he says in verse 39 of the same chapter, he also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? 
A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. That's a great promise. It's a great message, too. And it's really what gave this whole message, uh, this whole series of messages, its name. A student is not above his teacher, and that we could pretty much put a period there and camp. That means Jesus is the number one. All the rest of us are number twos. And that's going to be true forever. Okay? And there's not, a, there's not a series of rungs between rung number two and rung number one. Okay? No matter how close you get to Jesus, we're always going to be just as close as we are to Jesus because He loves us so much. And so it's not a competition to see who can get to rung 2A or 2B or, or whatever it might be or who's higher than the other person. So a student is not above his teacher. But the, other, the opposite truth is also true, and that is everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Notice everyone. That means all of us number twos, when we're fully trained by Jesus, get to be like him. Isn't that amazing? You know, so good news here is, is very clear. Why, then, Jesus says, do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? There's that, you know, kind of thinking there are rungs between two and one thinking. And pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How do you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye. And when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye, you hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What did Peter see when he saw Jesus, really saw Jesus for the first time? And that's in chapter 5, which is the chapter just before this, to give it a little bit more context. So in chapter 5, verse 1, we have the calling of Peter. One day... Uh, Luke says, as Jesus, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people crowding around him were listening to the word of God, and he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into the boat, left there by the fishermen, and he got into the boat, one, of, uh, one belonging to Simon, and asked him, to put out a little bit from shore, and then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners into the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the bo both boats so that both began to sink. Began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. 
For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they put their boats up on shore and left everything and followed him. Just an amazing story. And the good news in this story is not so much what Peter saw about himself when he realized that there was something big happening. You know, I think it was probably like an ant on the top of a tire as a car begins to move. The ant feels like something really important is about to happen. And sometimes we get that feeling as God comes near. We're not sure what's going on, and yet something is going on. And so Peter's response is to say, hey, get away from me. Get away from me. I am a sinful man. I have no right to be with you. And maybe all that's true. But listen, the good news is Jesus said, from now on, you will catch men. You'll catch people. I'm calling you to something higher than you have ever imagined for yourself. You have a gift and a purpose and a calling that has never entered your mind. Well, there was another, another pers uh, person in the Gospel of Luke that had kind of the opposite response, and he was the rich young ruler, a person of obvious wealth, and uh, came to Jesus and asked him, good teacher, this is Luke 18, 18, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I think it's got to be one of the least sincere questions that has ever been asked. Because he's coming to Jesus and he's thinking, we're good. I'm good. You're good. I'm thinking I've got the goods to back up the fact that I'm good and you're good and we're about the same. Why do you call me good? You see, Jesus is not picking a theological fight with him because he might have the wrong idea about Jesus, although he does have the wrong idea about Jesus. The rich young ruler's wrong idea was first and foremost about himself. So when he was asking good teach, a good teacher, he was also kind of patting himself on the back. You know, place hand on shoulder, lift up, repeat. And so... Um, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And his response was, hey, all these I've kept since I was a boy. I guess we're good. So Jesus' response, though, was amazing, tragic, Weird, unexpected, out of left field, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell everything that you own and give it to the poor and come follow me. You see, his whole world about what was good and was not good was so wrapped up with himself, he couldn't see the good who was really in front of him, even though his lips said it, his heart knew nothing 
about it. You see, you and I have a particular problem with assessing whether we are good or bad, or above or below average. It's called the Lake Wobegon effect. Anybody ever hear of uh, Garrison Keillor and, uh, yeah, we got a few people who are confessing, yeah, and uh, the uh, Prairie Home Companion, where the women are strong and the men are good looking and the children are all above average. So David Myers coined this phrase in his book, The Inflated Self, and he called it the Lake Wobegon Effect. And it's the human tendency to overestimate one's achievements and capabilities in relation to others. It is named for the fictional town of Lake Wobegon from the radio series that we just named, where according to Garrison Keillor, what we said, all the children are above average. In a similar way, a large majority of people claim to be above average. This phenomenon has been observed among drivers and CEOs and stock market analysts and college students and state education officials, among others, and experiments and surveys have repeatedly shown that most people believe that they possess attributes that are better or more desirable than average. Because average, that sounds kind of bad. You know, nobody wants to be average nor aspires to be average. So, for example, one uh, uh, reviewer found that 80% of respondents rated themselves in the top 30% of all drivers. Hmm. Uh, or how about this one? Asking college students about their popularity. Another survey showed that most students judge themselves to be more popular than average. Or, in, uh, or another one, in 1987, this study uh, reported that the statistical impossibility finding that all states claimed average student test scores were above the national norm. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> so there's something insidious about this thing. Uh, yeah, I, I, I could go on about that, but, uh, you know, 60% rate themselves in the top 10% of uh, many of these, uh, of, for example, likability. And one-fourth of the respondents in a survey of 839,000 students, I'm not going to pick on the college students, I'll just say students, uh, rated themselves in the top 1%. So some have argued, you know, that... Uh, well, these are subjective traits, but it's just a, the idea it is a common theme with human beings to consider themselves and others and consider themselves better than others, above average, uh, better looking, more ethical. In fact, uh, one really interesting survey was uh, that uh, people had pictures taken of them and then they were manipulated, the pictures, to you know, either look the same or look a little bit more beautiful according to the norm or just a little bit more, you know, not so beautiful. And the respondents came back and asked, which one most represents the way you look? And it was always the one 
that uh, looked more beautiful. You know? So we, we have this tendency. Don't get me wrong. I think you are amazing. <laughs> and because you are made in the image of God and fearfully and wonderfully made, that's, that's a, a gift that you have and you're just an amazing person and I'm amazing too. At the same time, we all share some characteristic flaws. So we have this tendency of thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, while at the same time downgrading the worth and beauty and intelligence of others, if even implicitly. It leads to anxiety, because many of us have a voice inside of us that is saying constantly or at times, are you really all that? And we end up going between the opposite poles of thinking we are better than others some of the time and the extreme of thinking we are failures or we're trash or we're no good. The truth is actually somewhere in the middle, I would suspect. Jesus said in Luke 11, 1 through 13, and I'll just key in on verse 9 and 10, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, everyone, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door, knocks, the door will be opened. And then verse 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg will give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now the good news here is not that we are human beings and we have, you know, a mixture of evil and a mixture of good comes out of our lives. Let's just face it. You know, our mouths sometimes say really good things about people. Sometimes they say really bad things about people. And it's the same person. I admit, I'm that way. You know, I would love to say that that doesn't happen, that that's not me, but it's, it's the truth. Sort of probably kind of average in that way. I don't know. But, uh, um, but I would say that what Jesus wants to do with people like you and me that are like that is that he wants to train us in the way of peace and he wants to give us his generous heart of thankfulness for the good that others do and are. And that is a great place to start the transformation. Luke 6.38 says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now just imagine it. Jesus is saying, you have the ability to determine the measure of blessing that you can receive from God. Whoa! Now, that's, this, is, this is amazing. Because if you use a little measure or a negative measure, that's the one you're going to receive. If you use a big measure of generosity and thanksgiving and thankfulness for others and you're looking on the on the good side, and uh, you're trying to make the good better and the bad 
you know, not so great in your eyes about the other people, then God is going to do that for you. Now, this has been a particular struggle in my, in my life. Um, you know, I, anxiety has been a constant problem for me, especially since 2011. And I'm sure it was beforehand, but it became pathological at that time. I was on my way back from uh, Turkey, tired, worn out from several different tri trips. And as I approached uh, DFW and the uh, airplane coming down, I just began to have horrible back, uh, just flashes of, of memories and, uh, and a panic attack. Memories from uh, something that happened in Argentina many years ago. And it was irrational. I'm, I'm not going to go into why or what it was. Let's just say uh, I couldn't get a hold of it. I couldn't suppress it. Uh, I went to a doctor. doctor helped me, gave me some medication, which, you know, helped a little bit to cope. But uh, he said, listen, you know, while you're on this medication, you better go see uh, uh, a counselor. So I started going to a counselor. And uh, the counselor helped me cope. You know, the counselor also said, and I think this is also what Scripture would say, is that when you're facing anxiety, when you're feeling anxiety, it's generally because you've bought into some lie really deep down in the way your mind works. And uh, that was encouraging to me because I realized if there was a lie, the truth could help. So, I want to repeat it again. Don't get me wrong. I think you're amazing, and I think we're amazing. Right? But um, this began to be a big struggle in my life and has been for a long time. Just a few weeks ago, actually in August, I got a chance to go to, uh, down to Guatemala and to spend some time with some uh, indigenous Bible translators and to tra help train them in doing better Bible translation. And I just learned so much. It just helped me. So it was nine tribes of, of uh, indigenous people or original people from, from Guatemala and from Mexico, and we spent a week together in just a beautiful surroundings in Atitlan, uh, uh, Guatemala. And I got to see their struggles, what they were going through. Um, and I, it was just, I was blown away. You know, again, I realized I have so much to be thankful for. You know, um, just so much. And I began to hear the word pray about everything, worry don't, about nothing, don't be anxious, but in, with everything, in everything with prayer and supplication, make your requests be, be made known to God, and be thankful in all things in a new way. So, I began a, an experiment just about a month and a half ago. Uh, still struggling with anxieties, difficulty sleeping many, many times. And I began to just write down. I've heard people say this. It's an old 
you know, something that people do sometimes is just to begin writing things down that they're thankful for. And if you see my Facebook page, you'd see that I've been doing that for about a month. Well, there's a reason. I'm trying to obey Scripture. I'm trying to obey what Jesus says. I'm trying to be more thankful. And, uh, and it doesn't come natural. So uh, uh, I have an opposite tendency. I tend to be critical. And that's kind of the, one of the things I do. I, I criticize translations. I'm trying to make them better. There's a hazard in that. <laughs> and so um, I began doing that, and, and the Lord began blessing me with better sleep. I'm glad to say that that's been, that's good. It's a good thing. Now, I was a little worried about this sermon, so I woke up at uh, 4 o'clock this morning, <laughs> and I was praying about it. But I got to bed at 9, so, uh, so that's good. But... Uh, my, my daughter came over the summer and visited us for about a, a, a week, and uh, I could tell we were going through some stressful things with some family stuff, and, our, and, and I won't tell, go into details of that, it's not important, but um, she, I could tell that we were, there was some tension between us. She's a really bright young lady, and uh, she uh, and I have a very close relationship, and I could tell she was perturbed about something. And so the days passed. It was about the day before she was going to go home. And, and uh, I said, honey, uh, we were driving in the car. And I said, if there was one thing about your dad that you could change, what would it be? And she looked at me. She said, oh, dad, there's nothing wrong with you. You're great. You're amazing. I love you. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm one of these people that... Um, I'm probably, you know, I'm able to put up a good face uh, and uh, convince people that everything's okay on the outside. I'm better than average at that. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, she knows the truth, and, I, and we're close. And so I, as she said, uh, I, I said, honey, honestly, I, really, you're not going to hurt me. I'm intentionally being vulnerable here because I want to be better. And she said, Dad, it's just that you're negative a lot. You're, you know, and I, I, it hurt, but it was a faithful dream. And that's what turned the corner on the positive, on Thanksgiving, and I began to repent and, and to, you know, write things down. And now, uh, after several days of this, you know, about a month of it, I, I'm scanning my uh, environment looking for things to be thankful for. <laughs> well, that changes you, you know, and I, what I'm trying to say is that spending time with Jesus, spending time with Jesus will reveal who you are. But even more than that, it will reveal who God is. And that's the good news, you see. Um, are we over time? Okay, we're great. Okay. So, um, what do we do with this message? Well, first of all, I want you to hear this morning, no matter what the struggle is, whether it's anxiety or something else, that, uh, yes, it's true, you desperately need God. That's true. 
But it's also true that God loves you more than you can know. He's the kindest person you will ever know. And the good news is that the voice of Scripture, even though we may read it sometimes in a way that just kills us, because we haven't learned how good God is and how loving and kind He is, that voice that raises us from the dead by the power of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, is also more powerful and truer than you can know. So I want to call you this morning to maybe, like me, make a little change. I don't know what it is that you're struggling with or what you've been through. And I've been vulnerable this morning uh, for a purpose, not just to lay things out. And that is, I would love for you to look inside and ask the question, would you stand up with me? Um, just a ask, and, and ministry team, come on down. Um, have I been too critical of other people lately? Have I built myself up considered myself above average and better than others in order to feed my soul because that is bitter bread, y'all. You see? It's bitter bread. But Jesus gives you the bread of life. A bread that will change everything about you. He is the good tree. He is the good person. We wanted to know who that good person was and who that good tree was. That was the question we asked at the beginning. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus is that good person. Jesus is that good tree. And you can't gather good fruit from a bad tree. But the great thing about the news of Jesus is that He comes into our lives and speaks powerfully at those roots that have turned bitter in our own lives. And He brings us back to life. The life that we were intended to live. If this is touching you this morning in some way, if you are, you, you realize, man, I, I, there's been such a a, there's been a voice going on as I, as I think about things in my life and myself and others around that has just put you at the center and, and really made a dark place. I, I want to encourage you to just make that turn. You know, repentance is turning toward God's love, away from what does us harm. And if you are hearing this and you, you've you know, this is kind of strange. Maybe you, you've thought about following Jesus you, or you, maybe you never thought about it before. But today, the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart. I, you know, I want to ask you to respond. We've got uh, men and women down here ready to pray with you, ready to, to invite you to take a deeper step with Jesus. Whatever it might be, I just invite you to respond. You may be just saying, man, I need to be more thankful. Just, I need some help. Pray, pray it in. 
God's going to do an amazing thing in your life. Let's sing.